Hello everybody. Welcome to Math for Knitters show 48. Okay, now we get to the good stuff. Actual knitting. Very exciting. Um, but <laughs> again, I have to kind of backtrack a little bit and share some of my theories about why knit socks, at least in Europe, look the way that they do. Um, so we start finally seeing language for what we would consider recognizable socks um, around 1000 to 1300. Um, but uh, one of the photos in today's blog post is actually a pair of woven um, stockings from 700. And uh, they're from the Caucasus. And I believe they're liturgical, which means that they were made for a person uh, in the church to wear for fancy occasions, or maybe just because they were a super fancy person. And my theory is that they're incredibly beautiful. My theory is that they may have been made over from something else. Um, the leg is this really beautiful, rich kind of tapestry fabric, and then the feet are what look like a plain linen. And there's a seam, you know, etc. So, first of all, they are beautiful, which is fantastic. Um, but second of all, we can see what people in the Caucasus, at least, expected a stocking to look like, a woven stocking to look like, and we'll, we'll get into more detail about that later. But consider this. There is no actual reason for socks, even knit from the top down, to be made with a heel flap and a gusset. They can be made with a heel flap and a gusset, and a lot of people do prefer that style. But the kind of two tubes connected with a crooked tube um, method also works equally well. And if you think that doesn't work, it, in my opinion, it's because you haven't had socks that fit you properly that were made that way. And we see in the ancient world, um, and in some of the earliest places where knitting happened, the style of sock knitting is very much two tubes connected by a crooked tube. Um, none of this heel home flap nonsense. And I think, and I'll have some support for this later on, <laughs> I think that the heel flap gusset thing was originally designed to make woven fabric flexible enough to even wear over a foot. And by the time knitting came along, that's what people expected these things to look like, and so knitting had to use that same method to be considered a good sock or a good stocking. Now consider, fashion is, is such a funny thing, but let's consider blue jeans for example. It's not an ancient craft, but we all know what blue jeans look like. We all know, we all have a picture in our head of platonic blue jeans. They have Usually they're a certain color, often a dark color, but they can be a light color. Um, pockets, almost always pockets in the back that are patch pockets and pockets in the front that are not patch pockets. Um, a certain kind of stitching, which is called top stitching, which is a contrast color, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, in recent years, we've all seen the same style um, connected to garments that 50 years ago were not possible uh, because the fabric simply didn't exist but also because the fashion didn't call for it yet. Um, sometimes people call them uh, jeggings, which is like leggings that look like jeans, leggings disguised to be jeans, leggings that are meant to function as jeans, um, although many people take take uh, issue with that. So 
we all know what genes look like and we all know what our expectation for genes are and so even when it's done in a new material and a new shape and a new fit we still go okay those those are genes they might not be my style of genes but they're genes um, I for one am <laughs> not at all opposed to this <laughs> I mean I personally um, don't wear jeggings um, just because I don't but um, I do consider our current fashion time to be the age of ultimate comfort and that's because knit fabrics and to an extent woven fabrics that have synthetics woven in like lycra that make them stretchy are literally taking over every garment in the closet that used to be woven and I don't consider that a bad thing um, knit, knit is comfortable man like it's good stuff anyway so <laughs> so we start seeing language in, in French um, and I'm going to mispronounce this I'm sorry uh, for what we would consider stockings or hose um, chausses hose and, and also just hose um, and then there's a book I read called the history of hosiery and uh, he says the Crusades brought back to Europe a complete change of dress, including these cut and sewn long stockings of silk, wool, or linen, cut by a tailor from a piece of cloth, fitted to the leg and foot, and seamed up the back. They were highly colored and made of silk, wool, or linen. This was about 1100 to 1200. And the words that I just quoted to you in French all come from the Latin word hosa, except for chasses. Chasses comes from chasses de fer, which means leggings of mail that knights wore. So basically they were just striking about for a word for something that you put on your leg um, that also covered your foot, kind of, mostly. Who knows? So anyway, there's that. So the first picture in today's section is woven, really, really beautiful woven hose uh, from the Caucasus. Moving on, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Most people who are into old knitting or history of knitting have seen these socks before, but we're gonna talk about them anyway. They're white or natural color and then blue. They're two color knitting. Um, and they're from about 1100 to 1200. They're at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And they're the most ancient known knit socks ever made. Now, of course, they don't look to me like first time socks. They have color work in them. Um, they're beautifully executed. Of course, they're quite worn, so there are some details that are hard to tell. But um, these, to me, it's clear that somebody didn't just wake up in the morning and make these things. Um, they had to have come from some sort of tradition. Whether that tradition at that time was 50 years old, 100 years old, we won't know. We can't know until we find more stuff. <laughs> Hopefully we will. But the oldest example is, is really, they're made from cotton, and they're from Islamic Egypt. Um, and I'll have a link to the Met Museum page for them in the show notes. Uh, but it's not on display, so don't go to New York just to see these socks. Go to New York to see New York, but not just to see these socks. It was knit from the toe up. Um, I can't say with absolute certainty that the heel was knit as an afterthought heel, but it really, really, really looks like one. For those of you who are familiar with the term afterthought heel, sometimes also called a pocket heel, I think pocket heel is actually a better description because afterthought heels don't have to be knit last, they can actually be knit first or in the middle or whenever. Um, but the idea is instead of a heel with a flap and a gusset, which many people learn first, um, the heel is kind of its own little piece of knitting that's knit um, kind of in a pocket shape. 
Um, you can also see a color jog at the beginning of the round where the colors um, jog. Um, there, there have been lots of modern knitters that have found ways around this jog, but um, the evidence points to the idea that knitters in the past weren't working off of charts, they were just working out of their heads, and so sometimes the repeat didn't make it all the way around. And they either didn't care, or it didn't matter to them, um, or they just took that as like, well, that's just the way things are. <laughs> um, which, you know, is the way things were for a lot of people. Uh, Priscilla Gibson Roberts has looked at these more closely than I. I've never seen them in person, but she says that this sock is knit in two-ply cotton at 10 stitches and 13 rows to the inch, and she attributes them to the descendants of the Mongols, the Mamelukes. And again, I'm never going to try to contradict her because I don't know, but um, I don't know. <laughs> now, let's talk about that gauge, 10 stitches to the inch. A lot of modern knitters have this idea that knitting in the old days was all this insane kind of toothpick level gauge and some of it certainly was but I think that when we see examples of that what we might be seeing are kind of the county fair winners from the past um, think about which textiles even in your own family life are preserved wedding dresses uh, garments that are used in church ceremonies like confirmations um, maybe, maybe a prom dress if you have a really great prom. <laughs> or if you have a quinceanera, you, you might save that dress. I don't know. I don't know if those are preserved. So your very best thing from your very best day is, is what you tend to save. And most of the stuff that we have from the far past was either preserved for that reason, because it was the best and the greatest, or it was preserved because it belonged to the people of quality, um, you know, kings, queens, duchesses, people like that. Um, and it was either preserved for them for some other reason or they were buried in it. Now, you're not, you're not, if you're wealthy and you want to show off your wealth, you don't bury grandma in her old nightgown. You put her in a very nice dress and the best stockings and the nicest of everything. So when we see those like 10 to 20 stitches per inch, we are seeing the absolute height, the best, the most incredible. So I think that 10 stitches to the inch isn't unattainable. Um, and in fact, most modern knitters knit socks at, at eight or nine stitches to the inch. Um, so, you know, when we think about sock knitting in the past, it's easy to decide that it was all really scary, but I think a lot of it was it would be very familiar to us now. Um, do go look at the sock. It's just, it's just incredibly beautiful if you haven't seen it before. I have some close-up photos too that I'm, I'm sharing on the blog as well so you can really see. What I love about about looking at this stuff now is that I'm not just relying on bad black and white photos and books. You can get these incredible high, high-level JPEGs online and you can actually see stitch by stitch what is going on with this sock. One of the things I love about it is that the the heel does have a little band of color right at the at the edge where it starts um, or stops or who knows. Um, and you but you can actually see the decreases um, for the heel so that you can see that the shape of the heel wasn't done as a flap and gusset, that it was done um, in a pocket or an afterthought style, which is just amazing. Um, when I was in college, you know, how long ago was that now? <laughs> Fifteen years ago. Um, you just this kind of detail was only achievable if you actually went to the place 
and saw the thing, which I would love to do, but not everybody has those resources. So, um, so yay. So please go take a look with me. Um, there's another one that's from the same time period. This is a bit smaller. The theory is that it's for a child. Um, and one thing you might notice is these beautiful, what we would consider abstract color patterns, um, are kind of geometric. Uh, they might they might actually be lettering. Um, in many regions of the Middle East, religious beliefs prohibited the use of living things as decorative motifs. So we see either just complete abstract geometry or really abstracted shapes. Um, these are supposed to read Allah in Arabic. Um, I don't read Arabic, so I don't know. Um, but if anyone out there knows, please tell us. And the smaller so socks are knit at 12 stitches and 14 rows to the inch. So it's just one of those, that, that, that clearly very fine work, which is nice. Um, and I, I also am going to put up a photo of a heel that I use that um, is not exactly the same as this style, but I think it's knit in the same vein. Um, the, one of the reasons that people think that afterthought or pocket heels don't fit them well, in my opinion, and I think I said this last time, is that they're, they're not getting the right size. They're not getting the sizing right. So I, I have a, a heel that I really, really love that's called a thumb joint hat top heel. Um, basically, you start your afterthought heel in the usual way, but instead of starting decreases right away, you work completely straight for as deep as the wearer's thumb is from the tip of the thumb to the first joint. And what's interesting is if you look at an x-ray of a foot, there's a bone in your heel that sticks out from, from the foot, much the same way as your thumb sticks out from your hand. And it turns out that the length of that bone is proportional to the length in your thumb of your thumb bone. So unless you've had, you know, a really, an accident <laughs> um, on either your foot or your hand, um, those are proportional, so you're going to get a fit that you like. So after you, you knit your straight portion with no decreases, and then you finish off with really rapid decreases, um, and I call it a hat top because it's the way that I also make the tops of my hats, which is eight decreases every other round until you're done. Obviously for this to work out evenly, you have to start with a number that is divisible by eight, or you have to get there before you start your decreases. Uh, with just a little round of decreases, and um, there are more details about this in my book, Soccer Architecture, but just so that you know, um, if you really think afterthought heels don't fit you, I, I, I really beg you to try this one. It is it is miraculous, honestly. Like, I have a very wide foot, um, I have kind of a deep heel, and I always thought that afterthought heels just really weren't quite for me until I tried this one, and I just love it. It also wears beautifully. If you ever get a hole in the heel, you just pull the whole thing out and start over. You don't have to disturb the rest of the sock at all. Um, if you don't like darning, you can basically skip it by putting on a new heel. Um, in fact, that's why I like that stripe of color on the beginning of one of these ancient socks, is that it's such a cute idea. When you start your heel, put in either a row or two, a round or two, of a contrast color, so that if you ever do have to repair, you can pull back to the contrast color and know exactly when you've hit your mark and when you need to pick up those stitches again. Um, it's fantastic. It's like a built-in prep for repair work, which is so smart. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that it was used that way, but you could use it that way if you like. Okay, so 
That's about 16 minutes, which is quite long for these. I'm trying to keep these shorter. So I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna stop today, and I will see you next time. Thanks, bye-bye.